Good evening and welcome. Well, today it was the Queen's speech, that really important constitutional moment. The Sovereign in Parliament, something that resulted from our settlement after our civil war way back in the 17th century. And of course, no monarch has been on the throne longer than Queen Elizabeth II. But for the first time since 1963, when she was heavily pregnant, the Queen has not delivered the speech today. No, that was done by Prince Charles. But I tell you what, it wasn't short of content. My goodness gracious me, no. 38 legislative proposals. Interestingly, we've been through this today here at GB News, proposal by proposal. And 60% of what is in the Queen's speech today are complete rehashes from what was in the Conservative manifesto in 20. 19. And I talked a little bit last night with Lord Frost about this. You know, if we're going to try and take advantage of what Brexit offers us, why have we waited so long? Ah, they tell me it's all because of the pandemic. But I thought because of the pandemic, the civil service were all working from home and that much more productive. I don't think so. So I have to say there are some who feel they've been targeted by this Queen's speech, and we'll talk to insulate Britain later on, who are not very happy, tough new proposals coming in. But I sense that almost everything's gone just a little bit flat. You know, normally after a Queen's speech, there's a huge amount of speculation about how much of the agenda can they actually get through in the parliamentary timetable. But with 38 major legislative acts put down today, and with a further four, been carried through from this Parliament, I would doubt in the course of the next year, I would doubt, let's say it goes two years until the next general election, I would doubt 25% of this even goes through. It all looks to me rather like a kiddie's wish list to Father Christmas. It just isn't going to happen. But what it is, is a restatement of many of the Conservative ideas that helped to win Boris Johnson that big majority back in December 2019. I have to say, I'm not inspired by this in the least, but maybe I've got this wrong. Maybe you at home think this is a new dawn for Boris Johnson's Conservative Party. Tell me, are you inspired? Farage at GBNews.UK. Well, I'm joined by Darren McCaffrey, GB News's political editor. Darren, I've got to tell you, day of the Queen's speech, and I would expect my phone to be blowing up with text messages and emails and people telling me this is fabulous, this is terrible, because I do get a lot of people contact me who think I should benefit from their wisdom. Often and your phone's been silent all day. Often I do. And honestly, there isn't much buzz at all. Yeah. There's just incredulity that this massive list of legislation, it isn't going to get done, is it? Well, it's not going to get done because, as you rightly pointed out, it's probably two years from the next election. This is probably actually the last Queen's speech before yes, that election. Yes. But given how they've struggled already in the previous parliament, you'd suggest they're not going to get it all done. We look at this, at Brexit opportunities. Again, you've rightly pointed out, why has that not been happening for two years? Mm. Um, Levelling up. I thought that was already at the heart of the government's agenda. The immigration bill, sending migrants to Rwanda. Mm. We know about that. What I'm trying to demonstrate here is the privatisation of Channel 4. We, we know lots of this stuff. There was mm. very little, actually, that was kind of new or, indeed, exciting. How much was there about the cost of living? Well, this is the other big point. 
very little again. Now, you may argue that trying to deal with the cost of living crisis is never going to be done in a Queen's speech. The government did repeatedly talk about trying to grow the economy. Again... Turbocharge. Turbocharge the economy. Well, one can point out our economic growth since the financial crisis, our productivity has been pretty flat. This is a very, very big problem for Britain. I think what was fascinating today, though, are, are two things. First of all, the Prime Minister said we cannot spend our way out of this economic crisis. We cannot spend a way out of inflation. And the government, to be fair, is caught in a difficult position. What it doesn't want to do is pump more money into the economy, or indeed give it to individuals, that you could actually make the inflation crisis even worse, that you could turbocharge the inflation crisis. While at the same time, there is a recognition politically this is doing the Conservatives damage. We heard today from the boss of Tesco saying, these aren't people who are on benefits. These are my ordinary shoppers who come in, who come to the tills and say, don't spend more than 30 quid or 40 quid. Well, if it goes over that cost, leave the food in the basket because I cannot afford to take that home. And the government know they need to do something. The Prime Minister suggested it's going to come in a couple of days' time. We'll wait and see on that. We've had previous form. But frankly, the Labour Party calling for a, a kind of emergency budget, if you like. But frankly, I think something is going to have to give. Not entirely sure what. Windfall tax? I don't know. Chancellor's kind of been a bit... It hasn't ruled it out completely, but something is going to have to give, if it's not in the next week or so, certainly in the next couple of months. And the much-vaunted reshuffle. There were many thinking that if things went badly in the local elections last week, that there would be a reshuffle. And when you think about it, you know, one in four Conservative candidates that was defending their seat lost. Mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't a good result. Maybe sort of Beergate and Starmer's problems sort of overshadowed that in the minds of the public. Any thoughts of reshuffles, or has that all now gone to the back? So the latest speculation is, and again, it is only speculation, that this could come before the summer recess. Now, why is that? Well, because ultimately, I think the Prime Minister, if he wants to properly reboot things, is going to have to wait for those police investigations from the Met, for Sue Gray's report. I think what you would want to do is kind of shuffle around your cards and right. then realise that you're still caught in a, a conundrum because of that. Uh, but you're entirely right, and I think people haven't reflected on this, the Conservatives did have a bad night last week. And what is fascinating is it's MPs in parts of London and elsewhere in the south of England who are now saying to the Prime Minister, hold on a second here, my seat is now at risk. Forget about the red wall, look what's happening down in the south of England because we are concerned that the Lib Dems are actually yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, threat which we, which we saw. And a final thought, what was the mood of the backbenchers today? Were they, I mean, I guess they were pleased with these proposals. Yes, I think they are because in the end, as you say, lots of this is reflective yeah. of what the government yeah. stood on in 2019 and won a thumping majority on, an 80-seat majority. I think the big concern is there's going to be opposition to this, not least of all in the House of Lords, and they can delay things. They're going to have to drop some of this. I mean, really, the privatisation of Channel 4, you know, that would be the first barnacle of the boat, if you like. But in the end, yes, if the government can make some progress on this, great. The one last thought I would leave you with, and this is why the economy is central to all of this, let's look at levelling up. As Michael Gove has pointed out, all that money set aside, that money doesn't go nearly as far as it did six months ago, a year ago, because of inflation. And that makes the government's task in a whole range of these bills so much more difficult. Yeah, and some of it is beyond their control. Some of it is oh, of course, global yeah, it events, is. no question. Indeed. Darren, as ever, thank you for that analysis. Now, one of the areas that I guess I've been, to quote David Cameron, banging on about for a very, very long time is, of course, the European Union. And having left the European Union, 
there are opportunities, folks. Even if you're watching this as a Remainer, there are real opportunities. A mass of regulation that came to us over nearly half a century, which could at least be simplified, and some of it removed. And yet, just nothing seems to have happened on it. Well, joining me is Catherine McBride, free market economist and fellow at the Centre for Brexit Policy. You must be actually quite pleased with what they're talking about today. Well, I am, but I am, I am also sorry they didn't do this two years ago. Um, I'm not sure that COVID did get in their way. Um, some of the things that they're doing now, like they're putting through the two trade bills for the Australian trade deal and the New Zealand yep. trade deal, but they've been negotiating those deals for the better part of 18 months. Um, and so we won't see any trade from that before this time next year, probably, um, which is kind of crazy, especially when you consider and even if you look at the trade deals, um, a lot of things that we could be importing, like right now the wheat price is very high, yep. um, Australia could supply us with wheat, but they decided to only reduce tariffs over six year, five years, and they're going to keep a quota of only 80,000 tonnes of wheat. Um, on for Australia, and um, we import over a million tons of so, milling. And, and just sort of, you know, just to yeah. remind people who aren't economists, if you cut tariffs, consumers get lower prices. Exactly, and also if you allow it in, I mean, we're not even importing it, which probably seemed like a good idea before Ukraine got invaded by Russia, but now it looks really stupid. But um, yeah. so why the reluctance to do all? I, mean, I had Lord Frost sitting where you are last yeah. night, and I said to him, "Is it that the Conservative Party just didn't really believe in Brexit, or didn't think it was going to happen? Were they taken by surprise by all of this?" I think that they've been advised badly. I think a lot of their advisers don't want Brexit to happen and are quite happy to keep the same regulations we've always had. It's easy for them. Would that be the? fifth column called the civil service. I suspect. Dare I? I mean, I, you'll all complain, I know. <laughs> but it does feel that way to it me. It feels very much like there were people who are prepared for us to just slot right back in the moment they get control of Westminster. Um, so that the New Zealand trade deal and the Australian trade deal, for the things that they could really sell us and they're very competitive at, um, the tariffs will remain for 16 years. I mean, it's, just, it's just astonishing. It's, it's completely astonishing. And in terms, Catherine, of regulation, you know, we had this furious debate in mm. the run-up to the referendum, during the referendum, uh, and people like me, you know, argued that free of European Union, we could reduce the regulatory burden on the six million men mm -hmm. and women running small businesses. Give us some ideas of what British government could do to help British business, to help jobs. Well, I've written several papers about things we could change in the city. Um, because we do have some very strange regulation that was designed for a European, um, sort of a, the average European financial market. And I know you're from the financial yeah. markets as well. There is no such thing. You know, there are very tiny Eastern European markets. One only has 15 listed companies. And of course, there's London, which is a massive international market. And someone in Brussels thought they could all have the same rules. It was completely insane. But even though many papers have been written and the Bank of England's done papers about it as well, um, it appears that we had to have the Queen's speech. One of the things that's in it, which I'm looking forward to, is the idea that we can drop EU regulation in financial services. And you sit there yep. going, well, we should have done that yep. on, you know, <laughs> yep. January 1st. You know, yeah. I can remember towards the end of my time as an MEP on a Thursday night, coming back on the last Eurostar and meeting people from our regulator, the FCA, mm -hmm. and they were pretty frank over a glass of wine or two. Mm. They'd gone to collect their weekly orders. 
But here we were, this global financial market, yeah. uh, taking orders from Brussels. Catherine, we can criticise the fact this government is over two years too late and even putting this stuff yeah. back out. They put it in the manifesto, they've done nothing mm. about it, they've restated it again today. But do you think they're going to get there in the end and do the things that we need to make our country more successful? Well, I, th I think that they're going to have to if they want to get re-elected. And one thing I'm pretty sure all the politicians in Westminster, both sides of the House, want to get re-elected. So I think that they understand that as you rightly said with Darren, that this was their manifesto in 2019. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they know that the population really likes this and wanted it in a big way. So they have to start, they have to sort of select the ones that can get through. They're 38, it's gonna be difficult, um, but quite a few of them are drafts. I'm disappointed to see that the audit reform is a draft, so that'll be pushed into next year, and that should have been done 10 years ago. I mean, the truth is only a fraction of this is actually gonna get done. Yes. Um, hopefully the trade will be. Some of it is kind of weird. There's a bill that allows you to have electronic documentation in trade. And you think, did we, did we really, is that really something that has to go through Parliament? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I think the world the, works that way already. The whole it? world moved yeah. on to that many yeah. years ago. Yeah. If I send something to Australia with, you know, FedEx or whatever, yeah. it's all done electronically. Well, I hope, I hope over the course of the next few months, you're going to come back and tell me that actually they are getting on with it. I hope so too. You hope so. I hope so. Many of you sitting at home hope so too. And, and maybe you can see from my conversations thus far, this has not been an inspiring Queen's speech. It's a rehash of 2019. It's a restatement of conservative objectives. And much of that, in a way, is welcome. But what the hell have they been doing for the last two years? Remember, farage.gbnews.uk, please give me your views. And I'll be back in a moment with Insulate Britain, who were really worried about the Queen's speech. Well, let's find out whether you were inspired by the Queen's speech rather more than I was. Ryan says, it's impossible to get all these new legislations through. The Channel 4 one is the most probable one for me. Sarah says, same old stuff being said, finding it all very boring. Now, Sarah, I, that's my sense of Westminster today. That's why, that's why my phone's gone dead. People are not inspired or interested by this. It's a rehash and it begs that question, why haven't you done this before? The pandemic not being a big enough excuse, in my opinion. One viewer says, nope, because it was a load of God's wallop. And another says, all I care about is that Queen Elizabeth is the greatest woman, monarch and queen, in the history of the world. Well, I tell you what, it wasn't quite the same, was it, without her there today. She is a very, very special lady, and not just to us, in this country, but the people around the Commonwealth and much of the rest of the world. Now, some of the proposals were new, and we need to acknowledge that. And one of them is the Public Order Bill. Now, this has a lot to do with Insulate Britain, whose tactics and activities uh, have perhaps gone rather further than Extinction Rebellion. And the Metropolitan Police say they spent four million quid on policing the protests between September and November last year. And much the same has been said by Surrey Police, City of London Police, Greater Manchester Police, albeit the figures are smaller. And when you look at the polling on this and what people think 
And, and you know, let's just remind ourselves, insulate Britain, of, you know, blocking the M25 and stopping access, even attempting to stop a free press from working in this country. Um, and it's no surprise, actually, that by a clear majority of over three to one, people disapprove of what insulate Britain are doing. And that is why the public order bill has been brought in. It's going to make locking on a specific criminal offence. Those that interfere with key national infrastructure, well, they're going to find themselves with potential prison sentences of up to 12 months and an unlimited fine. But you know what? I think this is probably right. I don't think we can have people being stopped from going to weddings, funerals, holidays, or even in the most extreme case of Insulate Britain protesters, people saying they wouldn't even allow hospital, you know, ambulances to get to hospitals. Well, joining me is a spokesperson for Insulate Britain, Craig Scrudder. Craig, you yourself have, have been out there on these protests and you clearly feel very strongly on the issue and I understand that, I respect that. I've taken on the establishment too on issues in my time. And, you know, I get it. You feel very strongly about it. You're worried the world's going to end. And I understand that. But, but you yourself, you know, you were there outside the print works, weren't you? Mm -hmm. Where certain newspapers were being produced, whose editorial line you didn't approve of. And you were actually preventing a free press from operating in the UK. That, I mean, when you reflect back on that, that is inexcusable. Well, firstly, thank you for having me on tonight. It's fine. I'm sorry I'm a bit late. They, they just wouldn't let me out of makeup. You know, <laughs> I don't know if that's usual. Um, but let, let me start by saying one of the facts that you said in, in the yeah. introduction there was that by three to one, people disagree with what we're doing. But 71% of people in this country say that climate change is their main concern. Now, albeit that was before yes, the, but, the cost of living crisis. But not your actions. That's the, I mean, the point I'm making is if you really want to educate the British public, if you really want us to feel more strongly about it, you're going the wrong way about it anyway. Right. So let's, if you let me finish, then it will be more than well. Okay, hey, so, hey, we believe so, in free speech here. Exactly. Right. So let's get on to the print works thing that you started with. Yeah. Okay, I was part of that because mm. we're trying to highlight that certain publications in this country are not covering what is, according to the United Nations, according to all the climate scientists, the biggest threat humanity has ever faced. Now, we're not trying to have any editorial say or, sounds, or trying to... Sounds no, like you are. No, we're not. We were trying to make a point that these publications should be covering the the biggest story there is and could ever be with more honesty, more fact-based journalism. Anyway, by the by, well, what we're well, here tonight I mean, to I mean, talk hey, about... Craig, Craig, I could argue that you know, the threat of nuclear war is a much more imminent thing because Putin might have lost his marbles. But, but I mean, the, what I'm saying to you is this, right? What I'm saying to you is this. I understand you believe in this very strongly. I respect the fact you've got that view. All experts I'm, and all science, you know, I may not, I may not agree with that view. And even if I did, I'd say, Craig, go to China and protest, because that's where the action is. You wouldn't say you that. Know. Come on, you're better you than know, that. But you you're know as well as me. That, but you, you know as well as me. We only produce 1% of global CO2. But that's by the by. But over 50% of CO2 but is, here's is, the point. comes from these small countries, Nigel. Well over 50%. 1% from Britain. 1% from... Or who, less who than 1%. Who started the Industrial Revolution, Let, Nigel? Oh, look, I'm not going to apologise for what we did 200 Historically, years ago. Historically... Right? 
per capita, yeah. well, no one is more guilty and, and more what, culpable than us. We've got fewer volcanoes, and, no they, and they put right. out a fair bit of CO2 as well. Anyway, right, let's get on to the, the policing bill. That's the what you want to talk about. This. The point is this. Your behaviour, what you've done to obstruct people, to potentially obstruct people going to hospital in ambulances. That's never happened, Nigel. Well, you've, we've seen activists on the television saying they would stop ambulances, stopping the we, M25. We that that stopping, may be other activists. Hang on, we, we, I'm not saying not. you, but We're your organisation, you know, by three to one, the public disapprove of your tactics. And what the Home Secretary is proposing, or the government effectively is proposing in this bill, is that if you block key national infrastructure, you could face up to 12 months in prison. Mm -hmm. yep. What is your response to that? Well, I think, I mean, without being rude, I, I don't think Pretty Patel was picked from the National Gifted and Talented Programme, was she? And I think she's got the wrong end of the stick. When the IPCC said that we need big, bold action, mm -hmm. I think she's misconstrued that to mean that we should lock people up who were blowing the alarm. Because it, it doesn't make any sense, does it? Do you think you know? You tactics? say by three to one, people disagree yeah. with our yeah. tactics. Yeah, I mean, it's very clear. A hundred percent of us disagree with the tactics we're having to use, but you it's know. the only way but it's not... to bring this to the media's attention. Well, if it was working, right? If it was working, I'm here, Nigel. It's working. No, 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 you're here, and what I'm telling you very clearly from all that you've done over the months, and from all—I mean, you know, you gov are a reputable polling company. This is a decent sample. Mm. Only sixteen percent have a somewhat favourable or very favourable view of your actions, and a whopping 53% are very unfavourable, all right? Mm. So it's pretty clear. What I'm saying to you actually is that reasoned argument would be more effective than what you're doing, and the Home Secretary might just be doing you a favour here. Well, reasoned argument yeah. needs a platform. We'll stand for, for election. For, for the last 50... Stand for election. For you the last 50... We don't have proportional representation, do well, we, you, Nigel? There's only us in Belarus and Europe that don't. Yeah, I'm, but we I'm, should have I'm 50 Green MPs in there, and we've got one. Right? We should have a voice. We can't get a voice in this country because of the electoral system. Right. We are trying to raise awareness that unless we take big, bold actions now, mm -hmm. the next 100 generations of people in this, in, on the planet are going to be affected. We're not professional protesters. We're normal, everyday people. I've got better things to is do than go and sit on a road. Is, blo is blocking the M25 really the way to win these arguments? But it isn't. It's a way of raising the issue. We're not trying to win an argument on the M25. Well, I, I have to tell you, honestly, and I mean this, and I've... Hey, look, you know, we've got more in common, actually, than most viewers would realise. We're both former city brokers. Mm. We both had passionate views that the establishment didn't approve of. Um, and, you know, I wasn't backwards in coming forwards in my campaigns, but I always stuck within the law. I always believed that to be the right thing to do. I face the same hurdles that you face with the electoral system and all the rest of it. I know that it's damned hard, but I'm genuinely arguing, Craig, that what you're doing is turning people against the opinion that you hold so dearly. Yeah, people aren't on board with the tactics, but as I've said, nor are we. But we're trying to get over to the public that the media aren't doing their job properly, right? They, oh, the BBC's the, full of it. Sky News has a climate hour every They do. Evening. That's brilliant, I isn't mean, it? There's but masses it, but it, of it. But it's about the news, isn't it? It should be on the and, news pretty and, much every day. And I'll day. tell you this, actually. Let, let me tell you a few facts. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this for certain, right? Under the Broadcasting Act, no balance has to be given to this debate at all. In fact, your side of the argument gets 90% of the airtime. The sceptics get very little. There isn't, there isn't another side. It's like no, having there a... is always another side. No, Science... Hang on a sec, Craig. No, no, no. Science is never settled. <laughs> Science is never settled. Okay, whether whether so... it's Newton or Darwin or whatever it may be, Science is never settled. 
People can change their minds. So if there, can change. if there was a debate on lung cancer, we should have someone on from Benson and Hedges? Is that settled science or not? Oh, absolutely. Let's hear what they've got to say. But, but is it settled Let's science, smoking and say. lung cancer? Uh, a lot of people get lung cancer who haven't smoked. Right, but, but there is more consensus among scientists and climate yeah. change there is among oncologists there may smoking well, a lung no, no, cancer. There may well be, but here's the point. Here's the point. Disrupting the M25, we produce less Gets than 1%. Gets us on shows like this, Nigel. Well, let, let me tell you some I facts. Tell you, I tell you what. Let I tell me you tell what. you some facts. I am more come on. than happy. I am more than happy for you to come on because you've got passion and you believe in what I'll you do, believe but in. Give but me a I'm minute. Telling give you, me a minute to talk I'll about the science. You, I'll give you 30 seconds. Okay. So why, in the sixth richest country in the world, do eight and a half thousand people die from winter fuel poverty every year? Why do we Green give... taxes. What? Come on, you're better Green than that. Green taxes. Why do we yes. give the fossil fuel industry £10 billion, which would pay for a million houses a year to have air source heat pumps fitted? Which don't work when it's cold, but go on. Why, next one. why are we giving out 41 new licences to drill in the North Sea when it's quicker, quicker to get wind and solar online than it is to get new oil and because gas, wind is and it's cheaper. Because wind is intermittent and we shouldn't be importing... Storage, Nigel. We shouldn't be importing any gas or oil but producing our own. Storage, you see, Nigel. But the point I'm Gravity making, Craig, storage, but the point it. I'm making... All we those, can store The point I'm making power. is, all those things you put... I've got counter-arguments too. We can debate this. And we should. And we should debate this. And you're very welcome to come on the show and thank you for coming on. Thank you very we'll much. see. Next time we hear about Craig, he'll be in my neck. I've no doubt about it. Doing <laughs> 12 months for obstructing the law. But we can have these debates. Now, a piece of good news. Here's a piece of good news. You see, I believe in free speech, and that's why Craig was here in the studio. And Elon Musk has announced today that Donald Trump is welcome back on the Twitter platform as and when Musk takes it over. And I really think... Given that Musk is not a Trump supporter, given that Musk, there's no evidence he even supports the Republican Party, but I think he's becoming actually something of a bit of a hero because he believes in free, open debate and free speech, as indeed we do here at GB News. That is good news. What is less good news? And this one's really interesting, actually, having just had Craig on. And that is that the BBC following a Panorama documentary, have had to upbraid Justin Rowlatt, who is one of their journalists, one of their senior journalists, because he produced a programme on Panorama wrongly stating that weather-related deaths were increasing as a result of climate change and global warming, and that all of this was said without qualification, and there is actually zero evidence to back any of it up, and Rolat has been somewhat upbraided by the BBC following a series of complaints, which I think is a very good thing. Now, a what the Farage moment. Hang on to your hats for this one. Now, Cambridge University appears to be, I think, probably just about the worst affected of all British universities, but try this for size. Cambridge University music students are being instructed to, wait for it, decolonize the ear. Yes, absolutely. Much of this classical canon is thought to be an imperial phenomenon. Yes, so Mozart and Verdi now come with something of a warning. I really wish I was making this up, but my what the farage, these simply the most cringe-making piece of news today comes once again Yup, from Prince Harry. 
he has made a TV advert which will be going out in New Zealand very soon. Let's just see a short clip of it. Oh. Uh, hi. You okay? Yeah, I, I haven't run in a while. Clearly. <laughs> you know, we actually invented jogging. The Australians? No, Aotearoa, New Zealand. Oh, sorry, sorry. I know you guys hate that. Kia ora. Kia ora. I've absolutely no idea what a girl dad is. I really don't know anything about it at all. I've no idea what that ratings guy was. I've no idea what they're trying to prove. It's something to do with sustainable travel. So if you fly to New Zealand, when you get there, don't drop a crisp packet or something like that. I mean, God help us, it's all too much. It really is time for a drink. It really is time for Talking Pints. And I'll be joined in a moment by Chris Hope from the Daily Telegraph, somebody who's written acres of newsprint about me. Maybe I'll get half a chance, who knows, to get my own back. Enough of Prince Harry, enough of that woke culture. Let's get real, it's Talking Pints. I'm joined by Christopher Hope from the Daily Telegraph. Cheers, Nigel. Christopher, welcome to the show. Mm. Now, we've known each other a long time. Yes. We sat in this very room. We did indeed. You did a Telegraph debate yep. between Vince Cable and myself. He's the only one who would debate you. It was the European election in 2019, I think. Yeah. And he literally was the only person who would come on yeah. and debate with me. Because you were both top of the polls. In, the, in that mad Brexit year period, which I'm sure viewers remember, you were top of the polls. You were vying with Lib Dems in the Brexit party. Yeah. Do you remember that? I mean, an extraordinary time. Well, you say vi, we in fact beat them by 50% in the end. <laughs> we got, we did, got a lot yeah. more votes than they did. But it was, I like Vince Cable because yeah. you can always have a debate with Vince Cable and yeah. we just had a chap in from, you, you know, I mean, whatever you think of Insulate Britain, I mean, we had a debate. That we had a TV argument. gold, I thought, loved well, it. Well, but you've got to do that. Now, Chris, you know, you are long-time journalist, career journalist, yes. been on the Telegraph now coming up... 20 years, yeah. 20 years. It's a long time. It is. I've covered your ups and downs oh, and, up, and ups again at GB News. Oh, I, I, I know. Absolutely. Now, I, I, I'm going to remind you of a little Ooh, clip. Are you? The biggest fallout you and I had, I think, was in 2014. Wasn't that big, was it? Well, it was when your newspaper said in the European elections, please don't vote UKIP, otherwise the European Commission will be beastly to us. And I, I, I did rig you up and ask whether you sort of, had sort of been taken over by some sort of Vichy state. <laughs> but let's have a look at this clip. And this is... Christopher Hope at the UKIP manifesto launch of 2015. Have a look at this. Chris Hope, Telegraph. Uh, Nigel, you say you've read the document fully. Are you happy that the only black face in the, in the document is on the overseas aid? Oh. Oh. And secondly, can I ask you... Thank you, Nigel. If you can ask the question, please, Nigel. And second, second thing. As I said, you know, I've known you a very, very long time. This was Christopher Hope basically saying that UKIP's only got one black face. And if you looked in the room, yeah. we probably had more black well, they all stood up. Asian candidates yeah, they, than any other political party ever. Well, they all stood up and ever. said, like, we're here. I mean, 
It was, it was a, yes, I think it was trying to make the point about... I think we made the point by standing up. You made the point up. back. I mean, it, that, that was the concern about you for a lot of people, was that? So yeah, he was raising unfairly. the point about... Dip, the, dip, the international aid pay, pays me the only place where you allow those from the minority ethnic. And, but the room was full of our ethnic candidates. Yeah, and you, and you, and you, and you, you, you had this uh, appalled, shocked look on your face, and you well, slow hand well, me. The, in the end, I joined. The <laughs> it was it you was, loved it though. It was before Trump. <laughs> Yes, it was pretty I mean, I mean, I should have said, you're fake news. At, at the time, your colleague, <laughs> your, your press guy, Gawain Talladaway, he'd done it. He had, he had a, a microphone on a broom, broom handle, which he'd lower in, and we as journalists trying to hang on to it. And I was trying to ask more questions, and I ended up lying across the lap of Andy Bell, <laughs> screaming, answer the question, Nigel, into it. Uh, but it, no, that was, um, I mean, that was, that, that was when UKIP was a real threat to the Tory party. I mean, you were, David Cameron was obsessed about you, he used to call you Nigel Farage, he used to hate the fact you were called Nigel Farage. Yeah, you, yeah. you thought I gave you some dignity you didn't, didn't deserve. That was his position, not, uh, not other people's. And I think he really, they saw that the, the establishment, you, were a problem. I think for journalists, UKIP was a great story though, wasn't it? Oh yeah. It? I mean, I think it was just always fun. It was always slightly mad, um, <laughs> uh, great fun people. <laughs> I mean, because it wasn't perfect. It was, well, it was. You tried to be professional, and it always always end up going, going a bit wrong. I think, I think in the end, actually, in the end, we were quite professional. Yeah. But it took a very, very long and in time fact, to get that, there. That manifesto, which uh, Suzanne uh, Evans, was Evans part of drew it, yeah. up, right. that was the of all the manifestos you did in 2010, yeah, uh, 15, 17. I think you've gone by then. Um, the one in 15 was the one you were most proud of. Actually. And much of that manifesto keeps coming back in yeah, British actually, policy. Yeah, see what's being adopted by... Keeps uh, being adopted, keeps being debated. So I was um, actually very, very proud of and that. And it's hard, it's hard for you. I mean, like the guy from, on previously from Internet Britain was saying there's no proportional representation in this country. I, I, and that was yeah, what, yeah. that's what launched UKIP. Yeah. If Labour hadn't brought it in, in, in 1997, Nin yeah. so, that so, gave yes. you your grip on power. That's that right. It was, it was getting into the European Parliament. That was the irony of UKIP. Yeah. It was being in the European Parliament, coming fourth in the first Euro election we fought, then third, yeah. then second, then first. But Labour, listen viewers, Labour created this guy. Labour's fault. That's well, why you exist. Well, they can't bear actually, it. Actually, the Maastricht, it was in the Maastricht Treaty. Okay. There was a thing in the Maastricht Treaty, a clause in the treaty that talked about some degree of uniformity in elections. So I kind of knew in the mid-90s that yeah. at some point this was going to happen. Was it Jack Straw, I think, of memory? Yeah, Jack I think Straw, that's right. I think, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I didn't disagree with our Insulate Britain guy, actually. No. I mean, I, I think... I'm He's a... saying, I want to be represented, I can't get... I can, no one listen to me, therefore I'm going to glue myself to things. And in a sense, that's what you were doing, right? When no one listened to you, you'd be a bit disruptive, a bit difficult. Yeah, I stayed with them a lot. Mm, I think I, I think I always stayed with them yeah. a lot. Mm. Um, but I did cause a bit of a noise. Yes. Uh, and did cause a bit of an upset. But, Christopher Hope, look at our politics now. You know, Brexit was, we hoped gained a sort of herald, usher, a new kind of politics. We've gone straight back to 2010. We've got two Social Democrat parties. Frankly, in terms of... I mean, I think Starmer wants to cut taxes and is pro-business. I can't, I can't even work no. it all out. It's pretty disappointing stuff, isn't it? It feels very bland, doesn't it? Like butskillism. You remember the uh, yeah, Gates Gill, uh, Rad Butler back in the... It's like that again. I mean, I think there's no-one's challenging anything. In the House of Commons today, I was making a note of MPs calling for tax cuts. Uh, David Davis, um, uh, Robert Jenrick, uh, John Redwood, of course, the t Labour wants also to, to cut the national insurance increase. I think it just seems all over the place. And um, 
It's, it just felt quite low-key. There's an ideas void at the heart of politics. Labour's problem is that they're playing the man, not the ball. They are playing Boris Johnson, trying to make yeah. out this Boris Johnson yeah. is appalling, isn't he? You know, let's take all these Twitter likes for that opinion. But the truth is, Labour did so well in the 90s by having ideas. New ideas, and that's what you're, you had one big idea, which is leave the European yeah, yeah. Union. But Labour had ideas back in the 90s. Yeah, Where are those and, ideas? And they had a charismatic leader. I mean, yeah. Blair, whether you love him or hate yeah. him, was a charismatic leader, yeah. um, and they're struggling with that now. How does the Telegraph tomorrow give us the Queen's speech? Does it? I think I don't know the paper. Thank goodness for all the viewers and readers. But I, I, I think that a, we need to see more more red meat, more more tax cuts. Let's get the economy going. Action now. The view is there'll be some form, form of a budget in September ahead of that big increase in, in cost of living in, in October with increase on domestic bills. There's no way the Tories can go through the conference season getting lumps kicked out of them by Labour and the Lib Dems on cost of living. They've got to act sooner than that. But why not do it now? I think this is Roger Gale saying in the House of Commons today. There's a view they're just running scared of, but no one really knows what Johnsonism is. It's whatever he says it is day to day. So no, Paul no, Sierra's, no, I know what it what is. is. It's what he wrote in the Daily Telegraph for those well-paid columns year after year after year. We thought that was Boris Johnson. Yeah. You know, and don't forget, I mean, the Telegraph, your newspaper, were his biggest sponsor. But we all thought this was a small state, libertarian, low tax, free market. He likes spending. I mean, that's the part when, of the problem. When he wrote that stuff for the Telegraph, did he really believe it? I can't ask him. He's not here. Get him in your chair. I'm asking him in your, I'm asking I mean, your I think, opinion. Well, we, you know, uh, yes, I mean, I think he did believe it, but I think he tries to have his cake and eat it, to use that awful term about birthday cake. I think he's trying to spend heavily, borrow more. That's what worries the Treasury, worry about the cost of borrowing. That's where they're not allowing or allowing to go early on, on money for household bills. He wanted to go before the spring statement. Rishi Sunak said no, and now it's all about whether, if Rishi survives the reshuffle in July, mm. not clear, mm. Mm. then... Um, now that's the serious stuff, but of course you're also doing the Peterborough column now, the gossip, yes. the gossip column. Oh, I love that. And this is what you like best, really, I, I, isn't I it? I give you a weekly call now, <laughs> about your search for a London club that allows you to smoke outside, all these, all these things. But you're enjoying that I enormously. Do. I love it, yeah, I, love, I actually love the Telegraph. I'm honoured to work there, I love the readership, I love the people. Um, and I've been there for so long, you start to almost live and breathe the, uh, the DNA of the place. Um, it's fantastic. No, well, as I said, you know, at the start of this, I've got to know you incredibly well over the <laughs> no. years. We've agreed on many things, we've disagreed on many things. Uh, but of course, there is one part of your life that I want you to share with yeah. our viewers, which, and I think you said to me once, you're never more than a phone call away. No. From your life completely changing. Yeah. So, and I'm, the reason I want to have this story is not because of the awfulness, but because actually it's led to some good things. Hugely good things, yeah. There was in, in April uh, 2007, a bus went out of control in, in uh, South West London where we were living and it did hit my, my, my wife, Sarah, and uh, our daughter, Pollyanna, and uh, Sarah's mum. Killed Sarah's mum, Pollyanna lost a leg, and Sarah's badly injured. And it was, uh, your world just atomises. You were literally at the desk. I was at my office at the Telegraph, ran out, um, went back and tried to con deal with um, appalling, appalling, uh, situation there at the scene and trying to just get childcare for the other two kids and my parents live in Liverpool it was a disaster so um, I think you know it's 
you know, time really slowed down. I think as we as I got through that period. I know you be in, in your plane crash. You remember this, don't you? When you you know. You but that was easier. But that was easier. That was me having to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. I was trying well, to hold it all together. You're talking about yeah. a young two-year-old yeah. daughter, a mother-in-law that's been killed, yeah. and a wife that's. I mean, it's much harder when it's other people. Much harder. But we've we haven't really reflected too much on it. We have obviously we talk about it. I wrote about it in the Telegraph. That was hugely uh, uh, cathartic for me. Uh, Reader sponsored Sarah, my wife, to run a, a half marathon. That led to about £120,000 being raised. Um, we took some of that money, gave it to a different charity, and then we set up our own charity called Elizabeth's Legacy of Hope, which ra raises money for amputee kids in India and Africa. And Sarah, you know, she's amazing. She campaigns for running blades on the NHS. Previously, the NHS gave you uh, wooden legs if you're an amputee to get you mobile. That's why you get crutches at the NHS hospital. Yeah. Yeah. But, but with extra money from George Osborne, in but two budgets, they paid money for these running blades for kids to run around and play with their friends. And Sarah uh, sets up this uh, the Sarah Hope line, which works with bus drivers to make the roads safer, an instant support line. So, and she and got an MBE last week. And she got the MBE yeah, last week. That's well, right. well done. Thank her. you. Cheers, uh, sir. I, I think that's an amazing <laughs> achievement. Yeah. And Pollyanna, mm. who was so little at the time, yeah. and who I've managed to meet a couple of times. You have, you have, yeah. And what an advert for young children going through yeah. adversity. Just, just dances now. Great dancer. Um, on point, on a point leg, especially made. So she's, um, yeah, I think, you know, I think um, it puts, you know, some things into some, some perspective. I think, you know, we look at Ukraine, we see the horrors there, you know, and it's just starting getting through that because, of course, you live with this, uh, you know, just getting through initially is the easier part, but dealing with the legacy of those things is harder. Yeah, well, as you said to me at that time, you're never more than it's one phone call away. Phone, out of a clear blue sky, bad things can happen, but it's how you cope with that which um, is what matters. Well, I have to say, the Hope family have done remarkably well. And Christopher, thank you for joining me on Talking Pints. I don't agree with everything you've said about me over the years. I thought you were going to beat me up, Nigel. Did you like a pussycat? I was never going to do that. You're going to a pussycat. It's lovely to have you on. Right. It's time now for Barrage the Farage, where you send your questions in, and I don't cheat. I don't look at them before, I promise you. Here goes, and I've kept Christopher Hope here to help me. Because <laughs> if they're too tough, they're going straight to him live on telly. So, Bob asks me, do you agree that the Labour Party always leaves behind a financial disaster when they are in power? I think the answer to that, Bob, is very often yes. Very often, yes. The most extraordinary thing was that in the early years of Gordon Brown being a Chancellor, it seemed that conservatism and conservative newspapers were so smashed to pieces that nobody was critical. I tried with a jeweller from Southampton to injunct <laughs> against the sale of 400 metric tonnes of gold <laughs> at an average price of $258 an ounce. Can you believe it? I got nowhere. Um, but financial competence, and here's the point, here's the kicker, Bob. In 92, the Conservative Party lost their repu rep reputation for financial competence during the ERM crisis, and that was much of what cost them the 97 election. And I'm worried, Chris, for the Conservatives, that actually financial competence isn't looking too good for them right now, is it? That's right. I mean, Gordon Brown never lived it down. You described there selling off the gold, and the Tories never, never recovered from Black Wednesday. It won't be a, that was when interest rates went up three times in a day, during yep. those headlines. Um, whether that happens again, that's a real moment. I mean, in terms of this, everyone thinks there's a lot of pressure on all, all sides at the moment in the economy. Yeah, no, no. Robbie asks, is Prince Charles up to it? Is he up to it? 
Yeah, well, he proved it today, didn't he? <clears throat> yes. Um, look, <laughs> I mean, he's not in the same class as the Queen. He will do his best. He is a genuine, sincere and decent man. I just think he's too political. I think you'll find it very difficult to keep his mouth shut. And unless he shows much more discipline as King, as and when that day comes, than he has as Prince of Wales, we're going to be in for some very rocky times. Mick asks, do you think the Queen's speech will pave the way to unleash the benefits of Brexit? I hope so. <laughs> what have they spent two years? They've done nothing for two They've years. They've got 1,500 bills or measures, EU measures, with the words EU on. This is yes. Australia Braveman. She's a Spartan, opposed all three versions of Theresa May's deal. She's behind it, along with Jacob Rees-Mogg. You've got the best people on that. Yeah. And you've got a chance of doing it by the next election. Well, I hope to goodness that they actually do do it. I really, really do. Right. One viewer asks, is the Lord's value for money? No, it's an absolute <laughs> joke. It's stuffed full of Blair's mates and Cameron's but would mates. would you join, Nigel? I don't want to be in the House of Yes, Lords. you do. You want around you. I don't want to be in the House Come of Lords. Come on. You see, they always, these boys are always journalists. They you want, never, you want yeah, 300 pounds a day? Is it great? Is it I know, great? I'm sure I could do better than that, honestly. I'd drive for Uber and do better than that if I worked hard. Uh, it, it's a joke, the Lords, isn't it? It's out of touch. It's, it's, it's ludicrous. It's, it's Lib Dem dominated. There aren't many. many they're very... About three of you, three UKIPers from memory, two, all of whom, one. All of whom defected to us. And you know what? UKIP never, ever got given you a single nomination. Farage, quickly. Brexit Party never got a single nomination. And 104 Lib Dems are in there. It's a joke. It's got to go. It's passed its sell-by you date. Want, you, want, you, want, you want to do it then? And I don't want to be there. Ignore <laughs> Hope. He's a gossip journalist. That's what they're like. The Peterborough column will talk about it this week.